to apologize, to say that we're sorry. And we pray to extend grace to those who apologize to us and tell them that they are forgiven. May we be agents of reconciliation right in our very own living spaces. We pray for those in our community who are traveling. We pray that they will have amazing experiences abroad, that they will see your glory in ways that are beyond their imagining, that relationships with professors or with other students will deepen and flourish, and that they will come back in safety, ready to learn again. We ask a blessing on those who receive the Community Care Fund offerings. We know that for some of them, money is very tight, and situations arise that are overwhelming. And so we pray that as much as this money helps them, you will give them lots of other ways to remind them that you are their God and you are in control. And thank you for that reminder for all of us. And as we turn to your word, we pray that you will open our hearts and minds so that a very familiar passage of scripture seems fresh and alive and new. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people say, amen. We're looking at Romans 8. Romans 8. These three weeks of interim. Page 919, 919 in the Pew Bibles. So last week we did the first section, and this week we do the second section, and next week we do the third section. Yeah, 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 that's exactly right. I know, it's interim, but you are so on it. So we'll read from 18 to 30. Paul writes this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pangs until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what's seen. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. I have a friend 
who's battling leukemia. And a few weeks ago, he received chemotherapy for seven straight days, 24 hours a day, a drip in his arm. And the chemotherapy had its initial impact through eradicating the cancer, which is good. But a secondary impact was that it left him unable to move his arms. This will eventually come back, but it will only come back with a lot of therapy. And so my friend has moved from spending 33 days in the cancer center to crossing the street to begin work in physical therapy. But that's not the end of the story because he needs to get stronger so that eventually he can go to Detroit and have a stem cell transplant. And there's no guarantee that we'll find a donor and there's no guarantee that the transplant will work, but we are assured by the doctors that if he doesn't get the transplant, he's going to die. And so his friends and his family are pleading with God. We are pleading with God to save his life. We are pleading with God that not only will he get the movement back in his hands and arms, but that he will be completely restored through all of this so that maybe this summer he can be out fly fishing again. Maybe this summer he can be behind the boat water skiing again. That the health will come back that strongly. But we have no guarantee. And so we are watching on tiptoe to see if we can get a glimpse of what God is up to in this story. We are pleading with God. Some of you are in similar space. A parent has lost a job and things at home are getting tight and your future at Calvin is unsure and you are pleading with God to give your parent a job. Others of you have parents who are seriously ill and you're far away and you are pleading with God to bring them healing. You are pleading with God to restore them so that the next time you call or the next time you Skype, you can witness a bit more strength in their voice. You can witness the health coming back. You are pleading with God. Others of you are in the middle of your time here at Calvin and you still have no idea what to major in. And while other people can blow this off and say that's not such a big deal, for you it weighs heavy and you can't stop thinking about it and you feel directionless and purposeless and you are pleading with God to give you some guidance. And some of you, even though you've been here now since September, you're still homesick. And you're gutting it out and you're making it work and you're doing all the things that people tell you to do, but you... Still, this place doesn't quite feel like home and you are pleading with God to help you develop deeper relationships here in this place. We plead with God. This is an ancient thing to do. 
for the creation wait with eager longing for the children of God to be revealed. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. This is what Paul writes. The whole creation is in labor pains. He says the creation is in bondage to decay. That's the language he uses. Creation is in bondage to decay. And boy, do we get this. It's in the little things, like when you pull a muscle and it takes you longer to recover from the pulled muscle than it did just a few years ago, and you realize that you are in bondage to decay. Or when you go to get your eyes tested and they strengthen your prescription again, you realize that you are in bondage to decay. Or when you see a neighborhood building that's been abandoned, just slowly fall into disrepair, you know that we are in bondage to decay. When we lose a member of our community, like we did this week with Richard Krominga, we know that we are in bondage to decay. That is a hard space to be in, and we are all in it. One of the reasons Romans 8 is such a popular passage is because Paul is such a truth teller in this. All creation groans. We are in bondage to decay. You don't read that passage and have somebody say, I don't know if that's true. Everybody I know is doing great. Every single person I can think of is happy and healthy and their grades are good and they feel very contented about life and they're in good space with Jesus. I don't even think anybody I know has the norovirus. I think Paul's overstating his case here. You never hear that. What you hear is people reading Romans 8 and going, yeah, that's exactly right. I am groaning. I am longing. I am eager for redemption. I feel like I'm in bondage to decay. I see that the world is in bondage to decay. But Romans 8 is a popular passage not just because Paul's a truth teller around the issues of decay and brokenness, but also because of the hope that he gives. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This week in chapel, we talked a lot about creation. We talked about how human beings were created last Monday, and we talked about how human beings hurt each other, particularly through ex the expression of our sexuality. We talked about the beauty of the world and how it's often marred by sin. And on Wednesday, Emma DeVries stood up and gave a testimony about caring for creation. And she reminded us that when it comes to caring for creation, the people who suffer most from the lack of care are the global poor. Because the most polluted places are the cheapest places to live. And so we have children in our world who are growing up in dumps, scavenging for food. We have children in the United States who are growing up near factories that belch out toxins. All creation groans. And we get this in our own bodies as we struggle with things as extreme as cancer and as mild or annoying as allergies that these toxins from the world go into our bodies and we are part of creation and all of us groan. And so all of us are eager to be liberated 
which is what Paul talks about. Be liberated from the bondage to decay and set free. For in hope we were saved. And then he writes this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our bondage to decay, in our brokenness, in our pleading. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Verse 26. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. One day last week, I went up to my friend's hospital room. This is before he was in the therapy building and still in the cancer center. And to see him, we had to put on a gown and you had to put gloves on. And I walked into his room and his wife was sitting next to his bed, reading all the messages that had been left for them on their care page. And message after message after message after message said, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. The kids and I pray for you every night before dinner. We pray for you every morning when we get up. My class at school is praying for you. Our church is praying for you. Message after message after message after message. And his wife said, I can feel that it's making a difference. He was so vulnerable after the chemotherapy that if you had even the slightest cold, if you had a tickle in the back of your throat, you couldn't go in to see him because he would catch it like that. He had no immune system. But during the 33 days that he was in the hospital, she never got sick. And this included over the Christmas break when she had 11 family members, kids and grandkids, staying in her house. None of them got sick. And not only that, but all of them got along. She has seen the care of God in this, in the people who walk her dog, in the people who bring her meals. And as she watches her husband move from the deep, dark valley that he was in right after chemo and go across to therapy and begin just a little bit to get his hands back and then hopefully his arms. And what she's seeing most of all is the light is coming back into his eyes and the smiles beginning to play back on his face again. Now I'll be the first person to tell you that I do not know how prayer works. I don't know why some people are prayed for and they recover and some people are prayed for and they don't. I do not know what is ahead for my friend. I do not know if this is a little lift up, if the treatment will work, if he'll water ski again. I have no idea. But as one of you wrote on your Facebook this week, there's no better feeling than knowing you're being prayed for. There's no better feeling than nobody than knowing that someone knows you, knows your name, knows what's going on in your life, and is taking that up before the Father, is lifting that up, is pleading that you will have hope 
where you desperately need hope? Will you have direction where you desperately need direction? Will you have good news where you desperately need good news? Will you have balm on all the troubled places? Will you have calm for the turmoil in your soul? If there is somebody else who loves you that much, who says, I'm going to get on my knees for you. I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to intercede for you. There is no better feeling than that. And so Paul writes, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing for you. Every moment of every day, every breath you take in, every breath you breathe out, the Holy Spirit of God, the one who had the power he wrote earlier in the chapter to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, that Holy Spirit is interceding for you and groans too deep for words. So yes, we are in bondage to decay, and yes, we are groaning, and yes, we long for redemption, we long for restoration. But he says, in the meantime, do not think for a minute that you are alone. Do not think for a minute that God is passive. Do not think for a minute that your pain is not being brought up before the Father because that is happening every moment of every day. The Spirit himself intercedes with us and groans too deep for words, interceding for all the saints. So he says creation is in bondage to decay. The Spirit is interceding for us. But as he said at the beginning, creation will be liberated, will be liberated, set free, verse 21, from its bondage to decay, and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that's the only way he can write kind of the famous part of this chapter. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. The only way Paul can write that is because he knows it's part of a larger narrative toward glory. You often hear that verse used slash misused to people who are in deep sorrow and deep hurt and someone just comes up and does this little bumper sticker of this verse and like that's going to take it away. All things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. But the truth of that verse is that it's not just about your life. And it's not just about your life or your life or your life. Paul writes, all things work together for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, because he knows that all of us are moving together toward glory. If you have been baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then your trajectory is glory you will end up in glory. So even though your particular journey right now, your river, your stretch on the river may be whitewater, it may be tumultuous, you may not be able to see around the bend, that river is taking you to glory. And there are times when things seem passive and the view is stunning and you hardly need to paddle, that river is still taking you to glory. The only way that Paul can write, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, is because he knows that we are in a boat on a river that's going to glory. He says, that's where we're all going. That's where we're setting out for. 
That's what your baptism gets you. That's what believing in Jesus Christ gets you. So right now you feel the decay, and right now you feel the trapment, and right now you are pleading for God. He says, don't you forget for a minute that God's work in you is to bring you to glory. And don't think for a minute that you're in that boat all by yourself. Because this is a verse for the life of the church. The church of Jesus Christ. And so when we take it out of context and just slap it on like a bumper sticker, we're missing the impact. Paul is writing to his brothers and sisters in Rome. And we listen to this passage with our brothers and sisters in Cairo, our brothers and sisters in Damascus, our brothers and sisters in Chicago, our brothers and sisters in Seoul, in Bangkok, in Jos. Where all of our brothers and sisters are, where any of our brothers or sisters are, and they are groaning. And we intercede with them, and we bring them to the Spirit. And when any of our brothers and sisters are being interceded for by the Spirit, they will be reminded, as we need to be reminded, that we are on the road to glory. That's where you're going. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because every little section of that river is bringing you to glory. And that's the only way he can say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Paul is reminding us of where this story ends. It ends in glory. Will you pray with me?